from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 109. Today's show is brought to you by HelpSpot, Ring, and Boom 2 from Global Delight. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by the Snellatron, Jason Snell. Uh, you can't do that, Mike. You, exits are east and west. If you've listened to the members episode, you'll get that joke. If you haven't, <laughs> go become a member. You can still get it. Become a member. <laughs> it's still available to you. How are you, Mr. Snell? I'm doing fine. I hadn't been the Snellatron in a little while, so that was uh, that was fun to do. Uh, yeah, good, good. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. A uh, busy day today for me. I mm. uh, launched a YouTube channel. I saw that. Yep, I saw it, that. It is a little project that I've been, that I've had rat, kind of rattling around my brain for a while, and I've been working on it for a couple of weeks. And it's a vlog, is what I'm working on. And in the style that I'm kind of working through is just, I'm making videos about my life. The things that I do, the things that I think. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of crossover between the shows that I do, because the shows that I make are about things that I like. Right, so there's, I've made sure. four videos so far. One of them includes the Amazon Echo quite significantly, uh, and one of them includes pens. So, I, I saw the I saw that one. I saw the one with pens. Yeah, that's the first full video. There's a yeah. there's an episode one, and then there are three episode zeros, which were just like tests. But I decided to put them up because I made oh. them, um, and I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, so far, see, people seem really happy with it. So I would really, really love it if everybody listening would go and subscribe to the channel. Uh, the channel is Mike Hurley, so you can go to youtube.com slash Mike Hurley. But if you're on mobile, for a reason I cannot understand, you have to go to youtube.com slash user slash Mike Hurley. There seems to be some kind of bug with YouTube right now that oh. any URL, it's not just like for people that have just started channels, just throws up an error when you do that. I can't work this out. This is part of... So there's a couple of reasons for this, Jason, why I'm doing this. And this is, this is exemplifying one of them. I'm trying to understand YouTube. Sure. Is one of them. So what goes into it, kind of what the challenges are of it, and this is one of them, right? So like on this show, we have spoken so much about platforms and gatekeepers and stuff like that. This is the biggest one of all of them. It is. So I'm trying to understand what it's like to be within a system that you cannot control for your content, which is this. But also, the flip side of this is, I want to give myself over to their algorithm and see what happens. I think, I mean, I, I, I totally get where your reasoning for, for doing this and wanting to discover this. One of the things that I had on my list when I started uh, being an independent person was experimenting with YouTube. And I just haven't done more than a couple of videos. And it, partly it's I, I haven't had... Uh, the idea that pushes me over the edge and part of it is not having, you know, it's very time consuming and there are lots of reasons, but I, I too am fascinated by YouTube and it is, you know, having kids, uh, my, my son, YouTube is, is his only video entertainment. Yep. And for my daughter, it is a huge part of her video entertainment. Although now that she's a little bit older and a teenager, she's really into Netflix stuff too. So she's that's how she's kind of coming around to traditional television. But um, but YouTube was there first, and and is still a, a great love of hers. She loves YouTubers; those are her TV stars. So I think it's it's a super important part as media people, right? It's a super important part of our landscape and the future. And so to kind of poo-poo it is, would be a, a big mistake. I'm still trying to figure out uh, the right way for me to do it. And I, I, I suppose, uh, you know, 
I've been putting it off. But so it's great to see you jumping in. I'm struck by looking at your videos that it is an awful lot of work that you're putting into those videos. Not just not just in in like Final Cut, where I mean, I wrote a post on Six Colors last week about slapping together the Total Party Kill videos and how I'm impressed at how easy it is to do that in Final Cut Pro 10. I'm I just amazed at how quickly I can put together something that looks more or less like I wanted it to look. But that, when I looked at your videos, I thought you you spent a lot of production time on it in terms of putting in text and overlays and things and the music and doing your editing. And I've done video editing for like 20 years, 25 years. I, I know how much time that takes. But I also noted that you're committing to videoing your life, which means that now when you go to dinner with Adina, you're taking time lapses and taking mm-hmm. videos mm-hmm. and even if you don't everything you do in your life isn't videoed you by by doing this you're sort of committing to saying uh i'm going to consider what in my life is going to be uh something i document for everything you do which is it's more weird. time and more more brain space that yep. is taken up by it it's weird, and I don't know how it's going to fall out yet. I know I'm really excited about it right now, and frankly, Adina seems excited about it too. It's um, great. Which is good, because she would kind of have to be for this to work. <laughs> yes, I thought that I, I thought that as, as I saw her sitting there across from you at dinner smiling, I thought, mm-hmm. well, she's got to be okay with this, or this is not going to happen. <laughs> she thought I was taking a picture of her then. Uh-huh. Uh, she did know that I ended up taking a video that I was going to use, but she thought it was a photo. So... Uh, Friend of the show, James Thompson, developer of Peacock, he sent me a message earlier and he said, it looks like this is a lot of work. How does this compare to audio? So I've been doing, I have not been tracking this properly because every single one of the videos has taken a vastly different amount of time to put together for reasons that I can't understand, mainly because I'm still learning. And and there's like, I see things that I want to do, but I don't know how to do them. So I have to work out how to do them. But to kind of on the back, kind of back of the envelope calculation, um, purely in the edit. So let's say I j- just talking about editing with audio. It takes me about two minutes to every minute if I'm doing a full edit. So I don't do this with all of our shows. Some shows I make notes and go back and edit and take it out quickly. So like this show, I make notes as we record for the things to cut out. And it means I can get a, a 90 minute show edited in 15 minutes because this is a timely show. We like to get it yep. out. But Cortex yep. isn't for example. So for Cortex, I do a full listen edit. And that takes about two minutes to every minute of what's recorded to do. So it's about mm-hmm. twice as long to, to edit as it is the recorded length. Sounds about I right. would say right now for video, it's 45 to 60 minutes per minute of edit. Yeah. Let alone Sounds right. wrestling with YouTube's system. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is just crazy making mm-hmm. uh, like just doing things like putting in the annotations so like the areas that you can click trying to deal with their system is crazy like i can't believe that youtube haven't released native tools to do this that you just upload the metadata because part of the problem is dealing with their website and it's caching but anyway i'm gonna save this discussion for Cortex, because yes. this, this is a little bit in the weeds now. So I would love to hear you guys talk about it. Uh, episode 38 of Cortex, which also came out today, um, kind of talks about in, in much, much more detail why I'm doing this. Um, and then me and Gray are going to kind of talk about this over the next few episodes as I come to terms with all of the things that are going on in my new YouTube life, which is a very, very weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. 
So just after we recorded last week's episode, it was rumored that Disney were in the fray for buying Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It never fails, does it? That nope. uh, we we do a subject and uh, then like immediately after that episode posted, like within like an hour of mm-hmm. that episode posting, the rumor was that Disney was considering a bid for for Twitter. So I, I just want to warn everybody that uh, when you hear the news in the next couple of hours that Twitter might also be bought by Toyota or Rolex. Or that they just flat out have been sold, which I reckon is the most likely thing. SpaceX, the U.S. Army, uh, you know, a, a shadowy billionaire industrialist. Oh, that yeah, would great be SpaceX, podcast. I guess. Yeah, then uh, th- we did that, apparently, because we this is what we do, is talk about things, and then immediately other things happen. Um, Disney makes sense only to me. People were like, whoa, Disney, that doesn't make any sense, because they're thinking of Disney as the brand and Mickey Mouse and theme parks and things like that but disney's a huge media company uh not just the movies uh from disney and marvel and uh, star wars but uh espn and abc so uh if you think about twitter as a real-time uh medium for sports and news that's another thing and uh reality tv shows and commentary about things that are happening on television that that's all uh actually not as weird a thing as as you might initially think so i, I you know i didn't think that was an unreasonable suggestion but it just was a uh, a surprise to us because we had just talked about that subject. One, we had one little uh, bit of follow up too, which is, I know you mentioned Google and the, and the real names policy and whether if Google is a suitor for Twitter, if if, if uh, Google might be better at that. And I, I complained about YouTube comments. Good luck with that, by the way, Mike. They've been really great so far. That's that that is good. Um, and I I I've come around to Gray's opinion about YouTube comments, which is you just let them you just let them go, just embrace them. And I don't know if he ever said that on a podcast. I asked him that in person. He said it on episode thirty eight. So you're all good. <laughs> when we had when we had lunch, I, I I was like, "What do you do about the YouTube comments?" He says, "You just gotta just just you don't have to look at them." Or although he says, "I look at them and laugh if there's something awful because it's like you know whatever it's a YouTube commenter." But um. But if you're if if it if they bother you, just don't look at them. But leave them on because let them have their you know let whoever have their fun. And I kind of have come around to that now that they are what they are. But um, anyway, uh, it's uh, so our listener Harley wrote in um, and said they moved away from that and actually linked to a recent study that said that uh, that uh, using real names and having a real names policy doesn't help when it comes to abuse online. So, which is a shame. I, I was always under the impression that it would help in my brain, you know, like I just thought, oh, if people were accountable, but it seems like maybe not. So thank you to Harley. I'm glad you sent that in. Tony suggested for the comic segment, Con Mike Con. <laughs> How is this one sitting with you? Uh, I, I, uh, putting the con, making a comic con instead of just comics actually makes me like it more. So I'm kind of intrigued by that. Um, I'm also thinking that since we've got Mike, that maybe Mike's comics or comics with Mike is enough. Uh, just keep <laughs> keep it simple. So we've gone around this far, like weeks yeah. and weeks of suggestions, and we're just going to call it comics with Mike. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I'm going to let you have the final decision on All this. Right. Whenever I'm, we I'm get still I'm still this. pondering, still pondering. I also just wanted to include in the show notes, um, Joe Steele, fake name, wrote a blog post about uh, the iPhone portrait mode where he goes into incredible detail about the things that he can see, good and bad, about the portrait mode. Um, And I wanted to include this um, in the notes 
because Steele knows what he's talking about when yep. it comes to visuals. So I thought it was just a, a good thing to include. Uh, it really does upset me whenever I see any blog posts with my photos in them, though, from that first day, because <laughs> it just feels unfair. Like, so, he, you know, Joe included a couple of pictures that I took, yep. but it's just in the worst light possible. He, well, he also has my picture that I took of my cat, which which is was good because it's got a great example of really inconsistent blurring effects in the foreground. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's a good, it's a really good post. He, he, I mean, as he says, he is a professional at fake imagery. Right? Yeah, that's what I he mean, does for a living. So he knows about faking, you know, uh, things to look like they they came through a nat- through natural light in a camera. That's his job. So, like, I would imagine that sometimes for Steele, he causes those errors and then has to fix them with his work, right? Like, you know, he creates things that don't look right and then they have to be fixed. So, yeah, I mean, look, I could go around again and again talking about this, but I've been taking more pictures of this thing and I think it's freaking amazing. And do you know what? Like, there are some photos that I've been taking where I delete them because I can see some errors but I kind of don't care. Like the ones that I like, I know that there are things in them that aren't magically perfect and that people can't take. But it's like, for me, really, it's it's telling that everybody who is upset about this feature or thinks that it's not good or is unhappy with the results, they own big cameras. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Uh, Joe, by the way, Mr. Steele himself uh, suggests a, uh, a, a piece by... Uh, Stu Mashwitz that we'll put in the show notes about the depth effect. So, thanks, Joe. One last thing about the cameras. This is something that mm, is weird, but okay. Uh, in low light situations, the two times mode is digital zoom, and I've been testing this out by putting my finger over the cameras and it on the plus, and it's just a little bit strange. I mean, I can see why they're doing it, and you can kind of, I can kind of trick it. Like I can point it inside the room into a dark area, and I can see it when I cover the camera. Then I point it at the window, and it goes black as the cameras are switching over. And I'm kind of like, I'm fine with it. Like I'm, to- I'm because I know why it's doing it. Like it's trying to make sure it can get the best picture, and the the low light from the other camera isn't great. But it's like, huh? It's just weird. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but it's just like a weird thing. So what I would suggest, though, if anybody is frustrated by this, is to download a third-party camera app, which will allow you to control specifically which camera you're using. I've been using an app called ProCam, um, just, again, to fiddle around with stuff as I'm doing my YouTubing stuff, because all my videos are shot on my iPhone, and I'm planning to leave it that way for the foreseeable future. And ProCam just does some crazy stuff and you can like choose which camera lens you want to use they have this like 3d thing now where it uses both of them and it creates these like glitchy jiggly photos that go backwards and forwards and it looks kind of uh 3d it's really weird but it's a great app so um i recommend it i'll put a link to it in the show notes but that's all i have to say jason it was very kind of backwards and forwards what i was talking about just there but there we go that's okay that's all right. So what you're saying is that you had a different, uh, several different planes of depth in your conversation, and then they were calculated. And cre- turned into a very blurry opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, only some of it. Some of it was perfectly in focus, and the Just, others we artificially yeah. blurred. Blurry around yeah. the edges. Joe will diagram your paragraph for you and tell you what you uh, did right and wrong, and it'll be fine. You could do it for me, because you know, you're the pro. I could. I could. This week's episode is brought to you by HelpSpot. If you are a person 
or if you are part of a company that deals with any kind of customer support, you really should be looking at HelpSpot. HelpSpot is the most comprehensive and flexible help desk software around. With HelpSpot, you can let your customers reach you however they choose. Email, web, phone, it doesn't matter. HelpSpot will be the central place for all of your customer support needs. You can turn disjointed email exchanges into meaningful conversations with your customers, get a quick view of any trends related to your support requests, and also see all all of this in real time so you know exactly what's happening within your company. HelpSpot can host everything for you, but you can also run it on your own servers as well. You get source code access for custom branding, direct SQL access to write customer, custom reports, and extensive APIs and Zapier integration for connecting to your other business systems. HelpSpot are committed to giving you unrivaled value for your hard-earned money. Put simply, this means uncomplicated pricing that includes everything that you need for your help desk solution. You'll get unlimited tickets, mailboxes, custom fields, reports, and knowledge bases for one simple price with no hidden extras or complicated Tiers. HelpSpot is able to easily manage customers that get a few requests a day, all the way up to enterprise clients with 500 email inboxes and millions of support emails that come in every day. It doesn't matter how big you grow, they'll be there to help lighten that burden of customer support for you. Their customers include startups and Fortune 500 companies, IT departments, call centers, customer service groups across every single industry. They're there to help you. They've been doing this for over 12 years. They're going to be there when you need them. HelpSpot is free for up to three users and super inexpensive for larger teams. Better still, you'll get an additional 10% off for life when you use the code UPGRADE. When you sign up, go to helpspot.com upgrade to start a free trial today or sign up for a free one-on-one demo to learn more about how HelpSpot can serve your support team. Thank you so much to HelpSpot for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Jason Snell... So, Mike Hurley. With my new video career here. <laughs> yeah. So, who's my new co-host once you become a huge uh, video star? Yeah, I don't know. We'll, find, we'll work that out. We'll work that out. I guess you will kill the radio star. Your, your video star. You are your own video star killing your own radio YouTube star. YouTube killed the podcast star. Oh, man. Get the Buggles on the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Buggles 2.0. File a Buggle report. <sighs> with Anyway. <laughs> Go, Mike, at the movies. Nope. Let's stop nope. now, shall we? Uh, as uh, I am now finding new ways to put my Mac through its paces, I'm wondering where are all of the Macintosh computers? It is October the 3rd. No, no. No, no, Mike. You know what it is? What is it? Mactober! Oh, yeah? We're in Mactober, are we? I think maybe we are. Tell me about this. I am I am increasingly optimistic. Let's put it that way. I feel I feel good about this. I feel like we're going to get Max of some sort <laughs> this month. I I just I the rumors are heating up. Uh the the you know, they've recycled the MacBook Pro with OLED touch bar and touch ID sensor rumor again. Um, but it's out there again. It sounds like it just, it, you know, they couldn't ship it for WWDC and so they delayed it, but the rumors are swirling that it is coming soon. Uh, there was a, 
uh, a story on a site that I've never heard of that was referred to by, I think, MacRumors.com as a shaky rumor, which is hilarious to me that rumor sites are calling out other sites for their quality of rumors. But hey, they're the ones who know. Um, that actually said that it was uh, going to be uh, there was going to be a, a media event on October 24th, which is a Monday, which seems really weird to me. Uh, but I feel like this is I, I, if you look back, Apple has more often than not over the last few years had an October event following their big blowout iPhone September event. And last year they didn't. And I think given uh, we, and we talked about it, like that conversation I had with John Gruber as we were going into the Apple event this year where uh, last month where um, the, the whole thought was maybe when they said goodbye to town hall, they really legitimately did think that they were, those MacBook pros were going to come out at WWDC and they wouldn't need another event to launch them. Uh, but obviously that didn't happen. So maybe this is something that has sort of come into focus in the last few months that, yeah, we're going to, we're going to need to go back to the two step instead of just the single event like we did last year. So I think that's the most likely scenario. And, and when you, when you talk about the rumors that are heating up again, reheating those rumors for the MacBook pro, when you talk about the rumors of a, of a new MacBook air, which baffled us sort of when we when we heard that initially, but the, you know those are out there a USB C MacBook Air, maybe even a MacBook Air with a Retina display. That that you know I don't know what of that is true or not, but there's enough accumulating here, and that the bottom line is that MacBook Pro cannot be launched with a press release. It is a dramatic change to the flagship Mac, essentially. And so how how could they just do that with a press release? So I, I, I just feel like all signs are pointing to a mid to late October Apple event somewhere, maybe on campus, maybe it's Town Hall again, one last ride for Town Hall, an encore performance at Town Hall, or maybe it's something that's offsite. But because it's a Mac event, it won't need the media scrutiny that an, an iPhone event requires. So I don't know. I'm feeling I'm feeling better about this being Plus, they need it, right? I mean, that's the other bottom line here is that those products all need to be refreshed. Macs are ne- not necessarily holiday splurge items, but uh, still going into the holiday season with a line that is, other than the MacBook, completely covered in dust and cobwebs seems like a bad idea to me. So regarding the uh, the weirdness of the MacBook Air, um, my theory on this, it's not a complicated theory, but it's my theory, there is no MacBook Air. That's a, actually a refresh to the MacBook, but the wires got crossed. Like that, they're, they're going to refresh the MacBook again. It could be, it could be. Um, because I seriously cannot understand why they would do this anything to the MacBook Air now. I, I think that I think the the question is the MacBook is well. Apple knows how the MacBook is selling better than we do, right? And the MacBook is a beautiful piece of hardware but it is limited the processor isn't very fast All right but that's what i think is they're going to do they're going to put something more comparable in there yeah well so this is this is the question but but um would you do that in an in a in an air uh, which is this old enclosure um it, it seems weird to me if they take the macbook air which rather than just having a variation on the macbook right yeah. but it may be that their feeling is like the macbook air still still sells well and they can without having to go because the 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 MacBook because it's so small and fanless 
has incredible limitations that the MacBook Air enclosure doesn't have. So mm-hmm. they could put a Retina display in the 13-inch MacBook Air enclosure and still have a pretty powerful processor in there compared to what they can fit in the MacBook. And so I, I wonder if that's the conversation is like, look, if everybody loves the MacBook Air and it's still selling really well and it allows us to kind of hold down the bottom of our, our, our product line on the laptop front in terms of price, why would and we still can't really crank up the power on the MacBook. It's just too early. Why not just keep the MacBook Air around another year or two? It's not like the old Apple Playbook. I will grant you 100%, but you know, it's a new Apple and I, I do wonder if if somebody made that argument that that you know, they'd be better off in the interim having a product that's not the high-end MacBook Pro but is also not the uh, you know, the speed limited and port limited MacBook. I just can't stand the design of that thing anymore. That horrific, huge silver the be- bezel. The bezel. Hey, I, I have one. I, I don't use it every day anymore, but the, I have one right, sitting right behind me now. And, and I, love that, I love that computer so much. But compared to Apple's entire product line, it looks wrong, doesn't it? it looks- I mean, I suppose they could change the bezel. <laughs> If they're if they're making it a retina display, maybe they change the bezel or something. But it does it. It is the last. Um, it's I don't even know how you you call it. It's the last series design language, right? It's like the previous generation design language of Apple laptops, and it's still kind of hanging around. Hmm. So I, I I don't know what that is. I think you're totally right that that one of the problems with especially supply chain rumors is that you don't know what the marketing is, right? So yep. there there are it's just like remember the iPhone math, <laughs> which was iPhone Plus, I guess. Yep. Uh, but, uh, they, there are lots of uh, you could you could be seeing a 13 inch. Uh, USB-C laptop from Apple that is not going to be called a MacBook Air and doesn't look like the MacBook Air, but is also not the super thin MacBook. It's a different MacBook. And they call it something different or they call it the MacBook. Or maybe they do call it the MacBook Air. That's the part that we don't know. But there are those rumors out there about that, which was surprising, but they have not faded away. So um, so what what it's called would, would be an interesting part of it. Um, and if the MacBook Air keeps... On living for a while, I think that's uh, I think that's fine. I think there's a place for it because the MacBook, as futuristic as it is, and as perfectly good as it is for a lot of uses, there are also a lot of people who use a MacBook Air who probably would not choose to switch to a MacBook because of the limitations of it right now. I mean, today, maybe not in two years. So, I want to go back to that timing for a second. October twenty fourth feels really late. Because then you're looking at what shipping no- start in November, maybe, or like well, within a couple of days, basically start in November. Yeah, but that that is something that Macs sometimes are shipping same week, right? They they, they have done that with Mac announcements. Sure. Also, but, they've done yeah. Mac announcements where they ship certain models, you know, that day or or at the end of that week, and then other ones come later, right? Like, and it ends up being, oh well, that one that one didn't ship until December twenty eighth, right? That. <laughs> That has happened too. So, uh, but again, you know, holiday, you could refresh the bulk of the product line. And then if one of the pro- pro- uh, products seems problematic, right? The, one of the problems is like, ah, this is hard to make. It's having, it's having delays on the, on the product line. You know, they, they say, well, that one will be available later. And they just kind of move on with it. But it's late if you're thinking about capturing holiday shoppers. But if they're all in the channel by the first couple of weeks in November, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it just seems, it just seems too close to the holidays, you know. 
And I don't know why they're releasing them. I don't know if they're doing them for the holidays or they're doing them just, like, because at this point. But, it, it, yeah. Or because of timing, that this is when they've got the... They feel like they have to. They've also been pressured, you know, with the Intel chip delays. They may yep. be, feel pressured to use... Maybe they, they... They almost certainly had a different schedule planned. And the way that Intel's chip releases are falling, they can't. So they, they may have finally decided we just need to do a refresh now, even though it's not the ideal time because we, we can't, we wait, we've waited too long already. And now if we wait for the next shoe to drop, it will be spring and everything will be six months, even six months older. Especially when they're sitting on not just revisions, but potential revolutions in the products, right? Like that the MacBook pro is a brand new MacBook pro. It's not just like, the MacBook Pro that we know and love, you know? Right. There are also rumors that um, Sierra is the, the the next beta of Sierra. That's one of the prime features that's going to go into it is the support for all the, you know, the touch bar and touch ID on the Mac and all of that, which, you know, people were intuiting from the, the fact that Sierra has this unlock, <laughs> Apple Watch unlock feature and Apple Pay that all uses iOS devices ID. that, mm-hmm. that uh, yeah, that uses touch ID. So, um you know the uh, that you can do Apple Pay, but you need to have a device that that you're you're authenticating that's external. The logical thought is, well, the, this will be on Macs in the future. When will that be? And and uh, so yeah, all signs point to it, and and all timing suggests that it was meant to be sooner, and it didn't get out then. So, um, but I, I think. I think it's going to happen. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. I don't. This is not one of those like sources tell me that, but I'm, you know, it's, it's not that. But it just, if I had to, my, my, um, my confidence in this being a real thing has gone up. I guess is what I would say. Um, I was in an Apple store yesterday. I went to the Covent Garden Apple store because uh, I was in the area and I wanted to, 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 just to hold the jet black, black a little bit more than I had. Because I'd only touched one for like a second. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of pick it up. And yeah, it does feel really great. Like, it feels amazing to hold. It is a very strange feeling product. It, I almost can't <laughs> believe that there's aluminium in there. Um, but I also, again, turned the thing over and it was just caked in hand grease. Mm-hmm. Further proving to myself why I just couldn't deal with that phone. Um, but walking around the Apple store and kind of just looking at stuff... And they had all these Macs everywhere, right? Because obviously they sell them. And the, every single one of them had people in front of them playing around with them. And certainly that day, people were buying them, right? Because that just, I assume, is the natural thing in, in co- what is currently the only central London store because the Regent Street store is still closed for renovations. So there's going to be people buying those computers that day, and they're going to be spending a lot of money, and probably many of them, if not all of them, will fall outside of the return window. And there's just a part of me that's like, those computers are really old. It, it's not It's not that like if somebody goes in and buys an iPhone three weeks before the next iPhone, because that thing's good. You've got some time on that. Right. But you've got people going in there and buying MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros. It's like those machines, you're starting off with a computer that's two or three years old. Yeah. And it for full price. <laughs> for full price. And there I know that like I am not asking Apple to like reduce their stuff. I'm not asking them to pre announce their stuff. Like I'm not saying that. But it's just at this point, this is a rarity for them where the entire Mac line 
is old. You know, there the 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 Mac Pro and the Mac Mini have had this problem for for as long as I've been interested in Apple products that they go for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days, if not thousands of days, without updates. Especially the Mac Mini. That product has, has always kind of been in the corner, right? Like, it's uh-huh. just this thing. It is a gateway drug. It's just there. It's a, you know. it's a, yeah, it's like a spork. It's, it's a yep. utility item that, no, that for a few people uh, care about and some people love, but it's good to have it in the world. It was created at a very different time. It was created for PC switches who already had all the hardware. They already had their monitor and their keyboard and their mouse. And quite frankly, that's yep. just not a thing anymore. No, it survived because it's useful for some of Apple's customers to have as a second computer or as a server. Or a server. Like, and yeah. I mean, there, there are lots of reasons that it still exists. Uh, and I think that if those reasons didn't exist, it would have gone away. They, they, there is an audience for it, but it is such a small audience that it, it, it is, yeah, it's updated in small ways every few years. And that's fine. But it's to see the laptops in this state in the state yeah. is is very weird and it should be it, there is nothing that calls this out more than standing at the top of a, one of those glass staircases and looking down at these tables and tables and tables full of Macs with people in front of them potentially weighing up a buying decision like that's really where it's like oh man what are you doing yeah, you want you it's, it's like you want to push through the crowd going stop no stop don't don't do it. <laughs> it yeah it felt like that other than the macbook you can buy the macbook i think the mac buy the macbook it's fine I, I, I think you could buy that because it was updated in the spring. It's fine. But yeah, even if it gets updated in a couple of weeks, that one's still pretty much fine. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be... Yeah, if they updated it in a couple of weeks, it wouldn't be that much better than the current MacBook. It would just be a... It's a MacBook. Yeah. It's fine. But um, but the others, all the others, basically... I had this... I was I was sitting in for Leo Laporte on his radio show, uh, his call-in show oh, over the weekend. Oh, I forgot to watch that. I'm now, I'm watch sure it. they archive archive of it and it was and it was uh, uh you know it was uh me and the the home theater geek guy so we're we're uh we're like if you've got apple or home theater questions call in but one guy called in he's like i really want to get a new uh apple laptop what are my options and i walked through them and he was like yeah i think i think for for my uses i really want the macbook pro and i said well here's what you do don't buy one until they announce new ones because they're really old and it was like that that was what I need to, that's how I need to express this at this point is wait. You just have to wait for all these things. So, uh, you know, I would imagine that if Apple does an, a Mac event and it's mostly about that MacBook Pro, uh, they will probably also update everything that, except maybe the MacBook. That would be my, my gut feeling is that if it's a Mac event, they're going to tell you how great Sierra is. Or again, just to remind you, they're going to talk about uh, the MacBook Pro and uh yeah maybe there's a maybe that 13 inch macbook air slash macbook slash something else is the other product that they talk about there uh and then they mentioned that the mac pro gets updated the mac mini maybe gets updated and the iMacs are very popular computers and they get they have gotten updated the last two years this time of year so another speed boost for them uh if there's a product that brings touch id to the iMac like a, a keyboard with Touch ID or something like that, which has not been rumored. But I do wonder about that, if that might be part of this story, is an accessory for, uh, unless it's built into the iMac itself. But something like that for the iMac would be a, kind of an interesting thing to see too. 
uh, yeah, I, I, I can imagine this. I can imagine this event. I, I, I just, I, I'm going to, maybe I'm wishing it into existence here. I don't know. But uh, I, I feel like uh, one of the last couple of Tuesdays in October that, let, you know, hopefully we'll get an, an invite and, uh, and it'll be a nice smaller crowd, people who care about what's going on with the Mac, which is nice. I'd like to go back to the Mac, so to speak. Speaking of which, this episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Boom 2 from Global Delight, which is a lovely little Mac app. We all use our Macs for different purposes. Some of us use it professionally for creative stuff, uh, maybe for designing. Others maybe stick to daily usage like Netflix and YouTube, you know, just consuming media. But one feature that all of these types of things depend on is the use of the system's volume. So we've all found times where I think we just need a little bit more from what our Mac can output. We like to have our favorite music louder. We maybe wish that our movie sounded a little bit crisper. And we also want our Skype call audios like this to be more enhanced. Well, Boom 2 by Global Delight does exactly this. Boom 2 is a small yet powerful app that enhances the volume of your Mac. When you install Boom 2, it will automatically calibrate itself to your system's audio, and whenever any audio comes out of your Mac, it will boost it to perfection. Even the most feeble of sounds are amplified to the best of their possible range. Boom 2 promises an immersive and crystal clear audio experience. It works across your entire system, so be it when you're using editing software or browsing the web, the volume will get intelligently boosted when you need it. The app smartly tunes itself to the perfect highs and lows and boosts the volume to the best suited range. Global Delight believes that Boom 2 is something that there's simply just no going back from. Boom 2 also comes with amazing audio effects which are available as in-app purchases as well. The effects blend beautifully with the audio that you're listening to and create an addictive audio environment. Above all of this, Boom 2 also lets you play around with the output with its customizable equalizers, letting you tweak your own output to your heart's content. I remember when I was a MacBook Air owner, Jason. I had an 11-inch MacBook Air for many years. Um, Boom was absolutely indispensable to in, to me because I couldn't hear a thing coming out of the speakers. Yeah. And I used to use Boom to great effect to be able to watch and consume any media. Yeah, that was uh, we did a Macworld Best of Show about it because it was uh, it was very impressive to get uh, good you know much louder sound out of uh, speakers that were not very good at it. <laughs> So if you want to be immersed into an audio experience like never before, go to boomformac.com. That's B-O-O-M-F-O-R-M-A-C.com. The app comes with a seven-day free trial, which lets you use the entire apps, including all of the effects. Happy booming. Thank you so much to Global Delight for for supporting this show and Relay FM. All right, so let's talk about messages, shall we? You wrote a nice little post on Six Colors about some of the trouble with messages yeah. uh, from a usability perspective. Right. I mean, the, my point is not that I, I, I've i written and talked about the fact that I really like the features in the new iMessage, you know, uh, stickers, new messages uh, stuff. I, I like it. Stickers and lasers and all that stuff. It's fun. People can complain about it, but it's fun. And people like people like sending stuff like that that's just people like having fun when they're sending messages to each other not all people no we hear from people who don't like fun things and that's fine you don't have to use those features um but the my bigger point was i love i love that apple dumped all of 
this stuff into this into the their apps, especially on iOS. I wish they had done more of it on the Mac. But um, I love that they they said, okay, we're bringing the fun. We're putting all this stuff in there. We're just going to pour it all in. What I don't love is that it is the on the interface standpoint, from the usability standpoint, it's a mess. It's like it's not you once you know how to use messages, you can use all of those features fairly easily. But you have to know how to use it. And the idea that you have to sort of like discover all of the complex secrets of your messaging app seems a little counterproductive to me. So I would like to make a similar opening statement. Um, in that I love the new iMessage. Uh, I really like that it's bringing more conversations for me from other places, from other apps back into it because it's so good. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun talking to people in it. Like, I really love the stickers. I actually really like the effects because they're fun, uh, kind of silly and sticky in the way that, like, they're making me want to stay within the application and use it more. I love all the rich previews, the rich media previews, like previewing tweets, previewing like different posts. I love all of that stuff. It means you don't have to keep clicking backwards and forwards between applications. And like all of these things have, have been a much needed change for iMessage to make it kind of a real 2016 internet aware messaging platform. But there are issues. And it's mostly around the fact that how you mentioned pouring it all in. They, yeah. they, they didn't change messages. They just bolted all of these features onto the existing applications. And this always creates issues when you do something like this. And I, I can see why they did it the way that they did, because they wanted to kind of add these things into the familiar environment. But in doing that, like things are really hidden and complicated. And uh, your post kind of breaks down a few of them, so I thought we'd touch on them. So the first one being the, the little blue up send arrow, which just in and of itself makes no sense as a, as a glyph. Yeah, it's it's you get used to it and you start to realize that that's what you're doing. But I have yet to encounter somebody who's upgraded to iOS 10. And this includes everybody in my family. And this actually includes me because by the time I installed iOS 10 beta, I had forgotten the detail of that from the demo at the at the developers conference. Um, and you're sitting there and you're going, what do I do now? <laughs> like you type a message and you're like, how do I send this <laughs> and it's just uh it used to be a thing that said send right and now there's an up arrow and you get used to it but it's not obvious and it's it sort of like it starts there where you're you need to intuit what between the uh, gray rectangular box with a uh, uh kind of like a carrot pointing to the right and then you've got a blue circular box with an arrow pointing up and I would also say you're using two different kinds of pointers here in two different box shapes, a circle and a rectangle. I also find that weird. Uh, but anyway, that's that's what's going on here. Uh, it's 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 less obvious than it was before. And and everybody seems a little stymied by it when they first see it. And then something that I find really weird is that it is on 3D touch enabled devices, you 3D touch this arrow to get to the effects you know, like to the lasers and the confetti and all that stuff. On yeah. non-3D touch devices, you long press to get it. Yep. But on 3D touch devices, you can't long press to get it. Yeah, right. Just just 3D touch, lazy person, it says. <laughs> Push harder. Also, but my biggest issue with this is that you 3D touch, you swipe up while still holding down to choose your effect. 
you let go and then you still have to press send. When I let go, it should send. Right, because you you've you've get done that in one swift inter- or one swift movement to yep. get to that point. You're showing very clear preference for that. You want to let go and have it and have it send, and instead it just takes you back, and then you you tap and and yeah, which then it every goes. time feels like it's broken to me. I heard from several people when I mentioned offhandedly that you long press on the arrow to get those effects, uh, who had no idea. Nope. Right, because nope. that's that's even more. I mean, three D touch in general is a not discoverable feature, and you you have to just push on things hard and see what happens. And uh, long press is similar. I mean, it's good that those are there. I, I advocated for that. That having you got to have an alternative to three D touch for people who can't do it. But behind behind that arrow, I think that there are not a lot of people expecting that there's a whole category of effects. Because remember, there's still the gray thing pointing right that's over there that reveals a whole bunch of effects. So I I think people assume that that's what's available to them once they explore and don't understand that beneath that, that send arrow, which also is scary because if you don't do it right, you've just sent a message, Um, which I think people are reluctant to press the, the arrow if they are not done with what they're doing. Um, even if you're going through the arrow, not you know, not sending it because instead you're picking an effect. Yeah, the uh, handwriting keyboard is weird. Um, I completely agree with you that it is not important enough for a software keyboard key, and it's not important <laughs> enough for automatically switching to when you put your phone in landscape. Yeah, and no, plus it's it's unlike any other interaction in messages. Is that on on the iPad you get this ink button on your keyboard and then on the iphone you don't and the only indication that you can do hand inky handwriting in messages is if you turn your phone sideways Mm -hmm. and then that's the interface for it and how do you discover that why is it completely different interaction from all the other effects i don't know also there are two we'll get to it but also there are two different things where you can use your finger to draw messages to people that are touch Right, they they they, compl- they behave completely differently, and are located in different places. And I don't really understand that decision either. Digital touch on iOS devices is flat out inscrutable to me. Yeah, no, it's it's baffling. I mean, it's so baffling that if you tap, they had the little animated like trying to tell you what happens, which itself is inscrutable. The you know if you it, it, you know it, it, they've got these like three. It's a strip of like three icons explaining to you what they are, and they animate to say like if you put two fingers, you get a heart, and you put one finger down, and you get a fireball or whatever it is. But even that's so confusing that if you tap on that animated little uh, chart, it brings up a full screen bit of documentation explaining to you how to use messages for digital how to use digital touch basically and why was this the only part of messages that got any documentation inside of the application (laughs) i don't know like because you know you can argue that like apple wouldn't give you a splash screen when you open messages like a little tour even though that's the way to do these things right that that's kind of if what you're going to do is take an existing ui put these features into it, the way that you tell people about them is by actually showing them, right? Full screen, little tour, this is how you do it, right? That's kind of the way you do it, but it's very unlikely for Apple to do something like that. It's very unlikely for many developers to do something like that because it's kind of admitting that these things aren't intuitive. Yeah, which they aren't. But So why did they do this for digital touch but nothing else? They've admitted digital touch wasn't intuitive. 
Like, it's, it's strange to me. And also, like, the heartbeat doesn't make any sense because it's not a real heartbeat. Yeah. The taps don't make any sense because they don't hit you on the wrist. That's why it's only really works on the watch. Like, the only th- part of this digital touch thing that was kind of needed, or not needed, but is kind of any good, really, in my opinion, is taking a picture and drawing on the picture. That's right. cool. Everything else, I, I don't get it. The fireball one, what does that even do? It doesn't even do anything. It's just like this little orb. Like yeah, that's I, my son is sending me fireballs. That's what he does. Every now and then, I just get a fireball from him. Um, and I think it's just because that's his... He knows to put down the one finger. Mm-hmm. Also, um, we, we haven't mentioned yet that there's the... Uh, it Digital touch starts in the small area, but if you tap the, the right thing, it expands and you get like full screen digital touch canvas um i don't know who thinks digital touch is a great idea at apple um on the on the apple watch it was silly but a little bit fun and oversold and overemphasized in the interface uh, and they've de-emphasized it in watch os 3 but now here it comes in messages being emphasized like this yeah it's like it's like it's like two teams got different memos the watch team got told to de-emphasize it then the iMessage team got told to emphasize it bring it up yeah, it's it's uh, right, and again, it's it's the second feature that lets you draw <laughs> in messages. So take your pick, uh, based on whether you want ink on paper or whether you want like a light colored thing on a dark background, which is there because of the OLED screen on the Apple Watch, and they've imported it from the Apple Watch. I don't know. So that's yeah, yeah, it's not great. The, the you're right, drawing on pictures is like the best part of that, mm-hmm. which I like. I like that part. I think that's cool. It's basically markup. But it's yeah. got that kind of shiny neon. Like, I like yeah. all of that. I like that. I think that's cool. But I think a lot of the tapping effects, um, you're best served using stickers for that stuff mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the taps. Yeah, the taps are really there because you're so limited on the Apple Watch with what you can do. And so then bring that over to the iPhone. Uh, you know, Other than the, that it is Apple Watch compatibility, I guess, so that if you send a digital touch to somebody who's using an Apple Watch, they'll get the taps and things, along with a phony heartbeat. But This continues the chain of perplexity for me, though, because <laughs> it's like, okay, so you did this because you want to have parity between the Apple Watch and the phones, right? So the, the, it's not just the phones that can send and receive this digital touch stuff. So the watches that can send and receive the digital touch stuff, you put it on the phones as well, so then they mix over, and then you can kind of, okay, all right, I see where you're coming from. Like, you want to make sure that, like, all of your devices can kind of interact with this stuff. But what about the Mac and anything? Because the Mac cannot do any of the stuff that iOS can do. So, like, you felt it was important enough to put digital touch in the iPhone so that there was another device to communicate digital touch stuff with the watch, but then none of the stickers, none of the apps, none of the digital stuff is in the Mac. So that can't communicate correctly with the iPhone. It's like this this weird disconnect stuff, which yep. always feels to me like as a consequence of Apple's secrecy, that like these teams don't get to work together properly. That's the way I always think of it in hmm. my head. I could be completely wrong, but that's how I see it. Yeah, you'd think there would be one messages team, though, on all platforms. You would. I mean, that's all, that's all I have to say. I have no idea. Like you, Yes, you would think that, but some of the features seem to argue otherwise at times. Shall we talk about the message app store? That's another challenge. Mm, let me quote from your article here. So <laughs> here's how to direct someone to the messages app store. Tap the gray greater than sign, 
then the App Store icon, then the four circles icon in the bottom left corner of the screen, then the icon with a plus symbol that's labeled Store. See, it's that simple. That's simple. That's it's a nightmare. It that is yeah. a a nightmare <laughs> piece of uh, term that I've heard people use recently that I like mystery meat. Like mystery it, meat interface, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you, there's no way to know it, you kind of just have to guess it. I don't think we're saying that this is easy stuff. They how do you add an interface for all of these features? But as somebody looking at the end product, it's hard to approve of what got done like it's hard for me to say yeah this was this is a good way to approach this because it seems so scattershot it's not like they buried everything under the that little gray uh arrow thingy uh they they buried some of the things under there and some of them are not under there and some of them are one level under there and some of them are two or three levels under Mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. so it's all it's all over the place the people are really excited about stickers and yet the access to stickers You've got to, if you want to get stickers through that interface, you kind of have to go deep down in because you have to go past your existing stickers to get to the app store to get more stickers. And having the, having that weird kind of like alternate app store, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I'm not sure that the, that what they should not, maybe what they should have is just a button that takes you to the app store app and shows you stickers. Mm, I don't know. Having that little store within, without throwing you out is kind of nice, though. Because all you're seeing there is those apps. If you went to the app store, it might be a bit trickier. There's nothing stopping them from having a, having a, a button somewhere that just opens the app store app and shows you the sticker section. And you're looking at stickers. And it's just the same as you're seeing, but you're not inside messages anymore. And it just goes back there. It's, just, it's a little weird because you end up in this kind of strange modal app store inside messages mm-hmm. that doesn't behave quite like the regular app store um, and then there's also like the manage apps icon having having a second class of apps at all is strange that that these are these are apps but they sort of aren't apps and they show up in a different app launcher than the regular app launcher which i understand why but it's just conceptually it's a it's it's a difficult thing but i, I just it 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 it, it takes a long way when I, somebody was like oh that stickers are cool how do i get stickers and i thought about how to explain to them how to get there and i realized wow that's a lot that's a long way to go to explain how you get to the sticker app store basically i want to talk about stickers as well now because Dude, i love stickers there are some things here like i i, I wished that stickers synced across platforms so like the stickers that you downloaded the sticker packs i would love to be able to have them sync and install automatically without needing to have all apps sync oh i'm sure that if i had all purchased apps sync across devices maybe it would show up or i bet maybe it would then just show up in the store and i'd have to manually install them on each device anyway but like i wish that they just synced across devices and their positions so like what i'm finding myself doing is every few days I'll open one of my iPads, I'll go into the store, I'll go to my purchases, I'll download all of them. Because I have to go to the App Store purchases, not the Messages App Store purchases. So to install them all. Then their positions aren't the same as on my other devices, so I either change them or just leave them. And that's kind of frustrating. um, Because... uh, (laughs) It frustrates me, because I really like to use them. In a minute I'm going to talk about some of my favorites, but... I wish that there, that this just worked better. I wish that also when you didn't get to the limit, like those little little kind of dots at the bottom, that it then starts to sneak under the other UI, which is clearly a bug that never got fixed, uh, but everybody encounters on day one because there's so many sticker packs. Um, 
I had no idea that you could rotate stickers and change their sizes. So like you drag up and they just use another finger to like turn them around or make them bigger. I was maybe using messages for like nearly two months before I knew this. Mm. I just I was just like one day so I think it was you sent me a sticker upside down and I was like, How did you do that? I sent you Skeletor upside down. Yeah. And uh, Easter egg, that conversation I've discovered today is in the um, App Store screenshot for the Incomparable sticker pack. It is. The conversation that me and you had where I found out I could turn stickers upside down is the conversation uh-huh. is you then used it as the, the thing, which I just found out about today whilst going through the App Store to pick out some of my favorite <laughs> sticker packs to put in the show notes. I saw that you did that and it really made me laugh. So, yeah, I wished I wished that it was better. Um, I don't know if it will ever get better because they wouldn't make any significant changes to iOS 11 and then by that point everybody's just used to it. So maybe by then it's like a mute point anyway, but I I wish that they would have done more to kind of maybe redo messages. Um, Our phones are so big now. There's so much of that stuff that they could have put in a bar above the message field. Mm. Uh, Like how Facebook does it. And it can get a bit messy, but Facebook just has this bar which allows you to quickly get to all of your apps and stickers and emoji and stuff. Um, I kind of wish they would have just done that. There are a bunch of applications, even on the iPhone, where Apple does this stuff. And like so many developers do this stuff, add that like app specific keyboard row. I really wish that they would have done something like that. Huh. It would have been, it would, they would have been able to get way more buttons in there. They could have, they could have split up stickers and apps into their own little trays. It would have been really nice. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like what what we're really saying here is that obviously the people who built messages were put to work adding all these features. And by and large, there we have issues maybe with digital touch, but by and large, it's not like I have problems with the features. I think the features are fun. I love the idea that the they wanted to make great. it more fun. They're right? great. But it does feel a little bit like they had more time to get the features right than to get how they all work together yep. seamlessly in one app right. And that is what feels like a hodgepodge to me, which is why my story is something like like great features, bad usability. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, you know, yes, but also no. I mean, honestly, it's probably the way it should be done. Get the features right and then find a way to put them in. And then it may just be that you run out of time and you just kind of have to put them where they need to go. Because... It's arguably more important that the features work than them be easily findable. Yeah. I, I feel like that digital touch feature shouldn't have shipped, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I question its existence in general. <laughs> digital touch is somebody's baby. And that person is high up enough that they can, against maybe any people telling them otherwise, just keep putting it in there. Because, I, yeah, I would I would rather have, like, a sketch feature that maybe has colors and stuff and not just the ink. Mm-hmm. And that also lets you draw on pictures if you want. I mean, that that having a single feature that lets you do that. But instead, we've got kind of the ink feature. And then we've got this separate uh, digital touch feature yep. that's complicated. And you've got all the finger gestures. And, yeah. The pure maximum that it should have gone to was just exactly what the watch has. Because the phone has more, right? Like, it has hearts and heartbreak and fireballs. They should yeah. never have been there. No. I don't know why they're there. Reasons I know. Let me, Jason, can I run through some of my favorite sticker packs? Yes, let's get positive here. Because I, I want to bookend this with talking about probably my favorite iOS feature of the last two years, which is the inclusion of stickers, because they are so much fun and they make my messages way better. And it's like, emoji who? I've got stickers now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the stamp pack. 
uh, by Illuminated Bits. There'll be links to all of these in the show notes. The stamp back is basically just tons and tons of stamps that you can put over things, including File or Radar, which is a hilarious stamp. Um, the ra- uh, the Extra Finer by um, a pen addict listener and aficionado, uh, Lee Reyes. She's, it's basically a, a bunch of beautifully illustrated, which she did, uh, fountain pen and uh, fountain pen related stickers. Of course. Of course. Uh, there is the Ragtag Classic Pack, which is a bunch of animated um, emoji kind of like things, which I really like. The best one there, they have a mic drop, an animated mic drop sticker, which is great. Grammar Snob, which I love because I get to correct my own grammar with all mm. the messages, errors that I make. Um, Arbman Face Bomb, which is hilarious. It's just Arbman Animations created a bunch of eyes and faces, like mouths and stuff, so you can put them over other people's pictures. Which is good, you know. Like this, one of the great things about every time anybody ever sends a, a, a picture to you or in, in any message thread these days, it just gets immediately sticker bombed. Uh, the Emojipedia flag stickers pack by Jeremy Burge of Emojipedia because it has the uh, Hello Internet flag and the flaggy flag, so it has nail and gear and flaggy flag. Mm. I love that because mostly because I love sending the flaggy flag sticker to Gray. It's effectively <laughs> the only reason that I like that this thing exists. Uh, sticker Pals, which is a ton of stickers. It can be a little bit confusing to work through this application sometimes, but the David Lanham animations is so good, um, and the stickers and are so good that it's worth da- it. David Lanham did a bunch of uh, of uh, icons for me when we did the Mac user blog at Macworld that I loved. I love his work, so I was happy to see that he did this sticker pack. Me too. Uh, the Hipster Sticker Pack, because, of course... There's like a little character that looks like me, and I can put beards and top hats and things on everybody. <laughs> and of course, the incomparable sticker pack. Oh yes, well that's the you. finest of all the sticker packs because I of all the stickers I swept out all of the uh, art that we've collected over the years and just dumped it into a sticker pack that you can get for free. It's great. So if you want to send Skeletor, you can now, or the Shame Burrito, you can do that, or Glenning. <laughs> so I will say, I will say at this point, and we've mentioned it before. There are relay stickers in the works. It is I've coming. They are uh, they're in testing right now because it's 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 part of our application. We're not just releasing a pack, um, and we're trying to do some cool stuff with that. So yeah, you may be asking yourself, how does one test stickers? The answer is very carefully. <laughs> well, no, I just send them all to you. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm uh, I'm very excited about. All stickers, and of course our stickers as well. Mm-hmm. Mr. Jason Snell, I believe right, that it is time to take a break because it is Ask Upgrade time. Ask Upgrade. This episode of Upgrade and Ask Upgrade is brought Ooh. to you by the Ring Video Doorbell. With Ring, you can see and talk to anyone at your door from anywhere in the world using just your smartphone. Protect your home and your loved ones today by going to ring.com slash upgrade and for a limited time, get up to $150 off their Ring of Security kit. Look, home burglaries are a real thing. They happen in broad daylight and they happen all the time. It's a horrible thing to have to think about, but I think it's something that many homeowners think about. As I'm moving towards home ownership, I think about it more and more every single day. Uh, it's a nasty thing to think about. It's a nasty thing to talk about, but I think it's something that we need to be considerate of. And I think in today's modern age of uh, connected devices, it's great to have a lot of these things to give you the peace of mind that you want. And this is what the Ring Video Doorbell can give you. Every time somebody approaches your house, you can 
get a push notification. You can open it up. You can talk to someone if necessary, or you can just take a look at who is there, which is absolutely fantastic. And now Ring is using their advanced motion detection technology to protect your entire property with the Ring of Security Kit. So you get the Ring video doorbell for the front door, and then also a Ring stick-up cam, which is a wireless weatherproof HD camera. So it uses the motion detection, and you can get you can see everything. Maybe you can put it in your back garden. You can maybe even put it in your in your home as well. So you can have your monitoring of your entire home, wherever you may be upstairs or you're thousands of miles away. Their stuff looks great. I, I like that you can choose different colors to kind of match your door of the doorbell itself. They have a fantastic application which is being actively developed to keep making it better and better. The quality of the video is really, really great, even on bad Wi-Fi. This thing fundamentally just gives you the peace of mind that you're looking for. Join the hundreds of thousands of people who protect their home with Ring. And for a limited time, listeners of this show can save up to $150 on the Ring of Security Kit. This is the lowest price anywhere. So go to ring.com slash upgrade right now. Thank you so much to Ring for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, Jason Snell, it's time for some Ask Upgrade. No lasers. Yay! No, I already did the lasers. Okay. There you go. The lasers have now landed. Thank you. Brett Did wants they to know. Do that? Yes. Can the iPhone 7 Plus use the MacBook Adorable USB-C to lightning charger or the iPad Pro charger for fast charging? Uh, not that nope. I've noticed. And, and from things that I've seen online, and I don't have an accurate source for this, so don't quote me, that it had been checked to see if this device was capable of USB 3 speeds and transfer of and and it's not and it currently yeah. only the 12.9 amp iPad Pro is the only iOS device that t- can take advantage of the USB-C power and transfer speeds yep seems so that that seems to be the case that that hasn't come to the rest of the the product line which is weird i agree i i i wonder about that sometimes i i i wonder about the iPad Pro um where they're going with it, and I occasionally wonder to myself if they might put more ports on it at some point, which I know is wacky for an iOS device, but I don't know. Could you put a USB-C port on an iPad Pro in at addition point, to Lightning? At this point, I think they should, honestly. I think that would be great, right? Because then they're saying this is a real you know, a real computer that can be used with, with more peripherals, and it's Pro. That's one of the things that makes it Pro. I think that might be an interesting uh, choice for them, to have it be have it have the same ports as the as the MacBook. Casper wanted to know, now that the iPhone has a non-button button that vibrates, do you think it will come to the iPads? Now, I want to put something out here, um, and, and I may be thinking of this, Jason, as like the MacBook Adorable's keyboard. That keyboard has not yet found its way to other products. Right. Because that keyboard is needed there for other reasons, like that little butterfly super shallow keyboard. Apple are going to continue to, and they still have, make keyboards with more kind of depth of travel. I wonder if the non-button button, the taptic home button, will only remain on the iPhone because it's needed there for space reasons, and that the iPads that don't even have taptic motors in them will continue to have a physical home button. I I think it's possible. I think the question is why does that 
uh, non-moving home button exist on the iPhone 7, it's possible that this is the only time we'll see that product because if there's a, if it's all screen next time, (laughs) the home button may completely change its appearance again. So do you need to replace the, the physical button on the iPad or is it good enough? Is it not, you don't need the space. You don't need the, you don't, you're not worried about the fact that it's a moving. I, I think what's the cost of it? And is there a benefit? And I'm not sure whether the iPads have that benefit or not. I'm sure they Apple knows how to make it now, right? So if they feel like there's a direct benefit to doing it, but I, I'm not sure they're they're trying to waterproof the iPads and <laughs> and, and all of that. I think Taptic uh, Engine is a good question in the iPad, right? I mean the um, the iPhone has the iPhone Seven has all those Taptic features all over the 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 interface now. And the iPad has none of those, and it also has no 3D touch. And part of the problem is a much larger device. You've got to do more work in terms of vibration um, and in terms of uh, reading the screen for uh, 3D touch kind of stuff. And so I think it's a real, really good question of how far do the iPad and iPhone diverge in terms of features? And yeah. does Apple care about bringing those features to the iPad? or Or does Apple say, look, you know haptic stuff is fun but it, it's not an ipad feature like i whether that's because they don't want to bother or whether that's because they feel like the the products are used differently and they don't have um they don't have have to have those things it'll be interesting to see what happens there because that really is a choice that apple has to make they, they can keep them in lockstep uh even if it's delayed by a year or whatever but they can say okay new new ipads next spring and they've got 3d touch or they've got the haptic engine or they've got the non-moving home button um and will they do that or will they instead say yeah no ipads don't do that just iphones and here's why yeah see i i just wonder if you could really do haptic on a, on a device that big but that's what I wonder about. It'd be hard, right? I mean, I, I'm sure you could, but you might have to do like multiple engines in different parts and have them, mm, you know, move yeah, simultaneously yeah. Uh, in order to get that effect. It would be putting them in the corners, maybe. Uh, yeah, a different engineering challenge for sure. <laughs> um, similar to what we talked about with 3D Touch, where if you're if you're if you're reading the strain across that you know that big screen, comparatively giant screen, um, it's uh, harder trick than doing 3d touch on the smaller screen not not that they can't do it but it's it's more work and do they want to do it is that a priority for them in terms of the ipad daniel's asked now that you guys seem to be using ios more than ever what email client have you settled on jason uh well i am not happy with my we're going to talk about this in a forthcoming episode of free agents i'm not happy with my email setup on ios right now um i don't have a I'm not using any of the fancy, uh, you know, defer your email for later kind of mail processing features right now. I've tried a, a bunch of them. None of them really work for me. And I've gone back to kind of plain vanilla mail. So mm. on iOS, I'm just using Apple Mail right now. And part of that was because I wanted to spend time with Apple Mail and iOS 10. Every time you do a new version, you know, I feel like it's worth doing that. Um, and it's and it's simple and it's reliable in a way that uh, the other apps that I was using were not so reliable with and uh and since i'm using um basically gmail on the mac uh it it seems like the best solution for now but i I may try something else at some point but i've just reverted to default and i'm using apple mail i use airmail and i've been very happy with airmail um it, it has some rough edges in places but it's incredibly powerful uh and i'm able to get a lot of stuff done on my iOS devices in a really interesting way. 
A lot of the stuff that it can do with integrating with other applications is really great. Um, I love some of the notification features that it has. It is a powerful application, uh, but sometimes its power can kind of uh, can kind of shake it off course a little bit. Uh, but I'm confident in the Airmail team to continue making the app better as they have been over the last few months. So big fan of Airmail. Yeah, my my challenge is that I'm very happy using Mailplane, which is essentially Gmail in a Mac frame on the Mac, and I do a lot. I do the bulk of my email on the Mac, mm-hmm. and so using an iOS app that has a bunch of features that really require you to use their Mac app. You see, the Airmail has them, but I don't do them. Like I don't do any of the okay. snoozing stuff it has or anything like that. Uh, the, I think those are the features that would make me want to switch. So The reason um, that I stopped doing it yeah. was because Mailbox went away. And when that went away, I realized that I need to stay as close to dealing with my email as the way it should be dealt with everywhere. Because when, Airma- when Mailbox went away, I lost a lot of features. You know, the one thing that I really wish we could come back is the ability to, like, that, that airmail we'll put in there, and I should ask them if they've ever thought about it, is the ability to rearrange messages in your inbox. Oh, mm. I miss that so much. Used to be able to do that with mail with uh, mailbox, just, like, to move them around. That was my favorite thing. Um, but, yeah, I decided to, like, just to stop doing a lot of that snoozing stuff because it keeps you within the platform, and if the platform goes away, you're kind of stuck. So. Yeah. I stopped. I've just stopped doing it, and I'm trying to just deal with my email as it should be. Really, I may play around with Google Inbox at some point, but yeah, I use we'll I use some non-inbox stuff, hmm. like non not so non-Gmail stuff, I should say. All right, Carlos uh, has written in to ask, "What stock iOS apps have you deleted from your phones?" At uh, none. <laughs> As as now this feature has been released, I wonder why they even did it. I think they only did it because people think that it should be done. It doesn't really do anything. Like I just have all those apps in a folder. The fact, like removing removing default apps, is not the thing. It is changing the defaults that's the thing. Because if I remove, I don't know, mail, I just can't open the mail app and I can't use any send to links anymore. You know, like, if I remove stocks, okay, it's gone now. But, like, I never see it anyway because I don't keep it on my home screen. So it's kind of a pointless feature to me, really, at this point. Like, what, what are you going to do? Like, oh, free up that space. It's not doesn't doing actually that. Doesn't exactly. actually do so that. So I don't know why. I, you know, I, don't, I just, now I can't really understand why they did it other than to appease people that thought that they needed it. Yeah. Which was us at the time. At the time, we were like, great, we can finally... Re- oh. Yeah, there was kind of it quickly fizzled out as a thing that I wanted to do. I still I still removed stocks with prejudice. Yeah, I was just very for happy fun, to right? I I did that, and I actually on my iPhone I I removed calendar because I would okay. search for I would search sometimes uh, and get uh, calendar instead of Fantastical, and I don't see it now. So that, yeah, that could be a good reason to do some, to do it, like to for, yeah. to to kind of whittle down the the spotlight results. But I don't really have a problem with that. But I can see if you're searching for events in your calendar because of your crazy system, uh, why that would be useful. Uh, Gary asked, I don't know why Gary asked this, but Gary did ask this. Can you can you read the question so I don't give away my answer? All right. Gary asks, is ZZ Top, the band, ZZ Top in the UK? 
Now, I th- I feel like Gary is trolling me because I don't, <laughs> I don't know so. how you couldn't just know the answer to this. The band's name is not ZZ Top. The band's name is ZZ Top. Like, that is the band's name. You know, like, what is the aunt? Do you know what I mean? It's not like I will pronounce, it's not like I call them like Metallica. It's Metallica, right? Because that's just right. the band's name. I know it's written out that way, but I don't. I have. I have no answer. That is well. Yeah. If 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 there's somebody, if there's a guy whose whose name is Z Z Top, like Zoroastrian Zool Top, but he goes by Z period Z period because he is a. Uh, you know he he doesn't that's a ridiculous name so he doesn't go by it i i think that's the question is at what point does it go from being well it's your name everybody in america you're american everybody in america calls that calls this person zz top would you call them are, are you going to make the sounds that an american would make to name them or are you going to use the letters because it's really just letters that you're saying right that but is a yeah. way better question than gary's question uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the answer Sorry, is gary. i would call him zz top if i didn't know that he liked to be called zz top right so I have a, a related story here, which is this is always a problem. And, and this has come up, I think, on previous episodes here where there's a question of how you pronounce things. And in some cases, the the issue is, are you pronouncing it? Um, for me, the challenge is always, do I pronounce it the way that they pronounce it in in England, let's say, if what I'm doing is basically just doing an English accent? Because I think that's one of the issues is if we have the same word that you do and you say it one way and we say it in, an, in another way, then um, if if it's a name, let's say, do I affect an English accent to call them the way that they're called in England? Or do I just use the, the way we pronounce that name in America? And I say this because I have a friend who it's a friend of a friend who changed his name from P-A-U-L to P-O-L. And he did this because he moved from England to the United States and didn't want to be called Paul. Because in England, everybody called him Paul. So he changed the spelling of his name so everybody would call him the right pronunciation of his name. I realize this is extreme. Mm. But... Well, you know, this isn't unlike people that maybe come from... Uh, from... How would they, how they say on ATP? Is it East Asia? Was that the agreed oh, the, upon? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you mean the the, the Far East? As no, they don't. Didn't? Yeah, I think I think it was East Asia, right? East was Asia, the, sure. So, uh, people that come from East Asia who like just give themselves English names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I grew up with a, a a guy, a Vietnamese guy, who uh, had a, a he was he said just Dan, call me Dan. <laughs> it's like that was not his name, but. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's a it's an interesting little bit of uh, pronunciation nerdery, but yeah, I think I, my childhood uh, librarian was B Z Smith, right? And that, and that was her initials, right? I right. could perfectly, I think it would be perfectly reasonable for an English person to say B Z Smith, but mm-hmm. if you met B Z Smith and were talking to her, you would probably not continually refer to her as B Z. <laughs> I mean, I might. <laughs> It sounds kind of cool. Anyway. Yo, what's up, BZ? I like the BZ. BZ. As cool as a name as that is, is a librarian. librarian. I love that. Children's I librarian, d- yeah. I love that you went with, uh, you went with children's librarian yeah. for the name BZ. 
Wow. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. You can find our show notes for today's show over at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 109. Thanks again to HelpSpot, Boom from Global Delight. Boom 2, I should say, from Global Delight. And Ring for sponsoring this week's episode. If you want to find Jason online, he's over at sixcolors.com. You can find him on Twitter. He is at jsnell. On Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and at YouTube.com slash Mike Hurley. I'm throwing that in there as my uh-huh. byline for the time being. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week for another episode of your favorite upgrade program. Until then, say goodbye, Justin Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.